Well, Thanksgiving was Thursday, and how many of you ate more than you should have ate? No, don't, don't, don't answer that out loud. Probably we all ate more than we should have ate because we usually eat good food at Thanksgiving, and uh, we, have, we spend a lot of time with family and friends. How many of you, and you can answer this, how many of you spent some time with family and or friends over the past few days, week or so? Hey, I think a lot of you are raising your hands. How many of you enjoyed that? No, don't answer that because maybe some of you would say you didn't enjoy that. But I'm hoping you enjoyed your time with family and friends and you ate good food uh, and you enjoyed that time together. And it's right for us to enjoy this time. It's right for us to enjoy time together with family and friends and to uh, just, just be able to reconnect with people. How many of you were able to reconnect with a family member or a friend you hadn't seen in, an, in, in a while? I was able to see my brother, and I have not seen him uh, probably since the summer, since uh, July. And so that was enjoyable to see him and visit with him and hear how life's going. I'm sure you had those opportunities, but I'm glad that you're back here today for our time together in the Word. And uh, as, as we think about Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is a time when we stop and acknowledge what God has done for us, right? We stop. We pause. It, not only is it something we do as believers, but it's something that we do as a nation where we stop and thank God for who he is and what he has done. And uh, maybe even during your Thanksgiving time with your family or friends, you and your family and friends spent some time sharing what you are thankful for. Maybe you, you did that. Maybe you did this around the main Thanksgiving meal, whether it was on Thanksgiving Day or another day that you spent some time acknowledging God's goodness and God's blessing on you, your family, and your friends. But have you ever wondered why we do not pause more often to thank God? How many of you around every meal that you have pause, and don't answer this out loud, but how many of you, as you sit around every single meal with you and your family, thank God? Now I'm just like all of you, I don't do that as much as I should, and I don't do that like I should. But have you ever wondered why we do not pause to thank God more than what we usually do at Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving seems like a natural time, a natural, normal response to the time of year to thank God for who he is and what he has done. But we seldom thank God around other meals or at other times and maybe you have been asked one of these questions, for what are you thankful? Or how will you give thanks to God today? Now, maybe you've been asked that question if you've been like blank mind, nothing is coming to your mind. If you can relate to that, so can I. Why is that? Why is it that when someone asks us, how will you thank God today? You are blank. But at Thanksgiving, we often can number off a lot of different things that we're thankful to God for, for what he has done in his goodness. Thanksgiving is an act of worship, glorifying God. And so it's a way in which we point to God's magnificence, God's wonderfulness, God's awesomeness. And we shouldn't, especially as believers, ever have a difficulty in, uh, in thanking God, and yet we do. 
And in our text this morning, which is Psalm 100, so if you have your Bibles today, I encourage you to open to Psalm 100. In our, in our text this morning, we find that God is central to our worship, to our thanksgiving. God is central. And uh, we're going to go ahead and read this this morning, Psalm 100. It's not long, so Psalm 100. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. The one thing I want you to remember, if you remember nothing else this morning, the one thing I want you to remember is that God is our focus in worship. God is our focus in worship. And we see that in, in these verses in Psalm 100, in this short verse, that God is our focus. And as you look at it, you might have, like I did at the beginning, think, well, it's talking about how we should Praise God, how we should thank God, how we should worship Him, and that's true. But we're going to look at what is the foundation, what is the ground, what is the bottom of our worship this morning. And we're going to see that God is our focus in worship. But you might ask how or why. And God is our focus in worship because He is God and He is completely consistent. God is our focus in worship because He is God. And he is completely consistent. So first, in verses 1 through 3, we see God is our focus in worship because he is God. In these verses, uh, God is the focus. He is, he is what, the reason why the people of Israel are called. This is a call to worship in verses 1 and 2, especially. They are to let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. The psalmist is giving the people of Israel a call to worship. He's telling them, come, shout to the Lord. Shout triumphantly. Shout joyfully because of God. He says, serve. He says, come before. This is a call to worship. It's calling people to lift high who God is. And verse 1 makes it clear to us that God wants all people to worship him. Well, he says there, let the whole earth shout triumphantly or joyfully to God. God wants all people to worship him. God is a jealous God, and it's right for him to be jealous. God is a jealous God for the worship that he is due. God wants to be worshipped as God because he is God. And jealousy for us is not a good thing, but for God, it's a God thing. And he is jealous for that. And he wants everyone to worship him. And one day, as we heard in Philippians, as Pastor Chad preached through Philippians, one day, every knee will bow in worship. Every day, one knee will glorify God as he deserves. And here the call is to the whole earth, the whole world, to worship him. To give him the glory that he is due all the earth is to shout triumphantly, joyfully to God. And this is our fitting response to who he is. 
When we know who God is, our response ought to be one of joyful shouts, glad praises to who God is. Now I know that we in a good Baptist church don't shout for joy. We don't make loud exclamations. But it isn't wrong to do so. It's actually fitting response to who God is according to Psalm 100. To shout joyfully, to come before him, to, to, to come before him with joyful songs. These are not wrong. It's a way for us to magnify our God, to make God look amazing as he is. We're not making God amazing and shouting and declaring his greatness. We're just stating the reality that he is great. And then in verse 2, the psalmist goes on and says, Serve the Lord with gladness. The word serve here might be the word worship in your translation, and that would be a good translation of it. Worship the Lord with gladness. The idea of serving here is one of coming before him with religious service, worshiping God, coming to worship God with gladness and joy. We're called to worship God with gladness. Now, Thanksgiving just happened, and you might be tired this morning. You might have traveled some, and you might have gotten back yesterday, later in the day, or maybe on Friday, and you're tired. And you might not have walked into church this morning with gladness or joy in your heart because of tiredness. And tiredness is real. Tiredness happens to all of us. But we are called to worship God with gladness. The call to worship here is to worship God with gladness. Now, worship is not intended to be a drudgery. Worship is a joy. Worship is a joy because of of the one in whom we worship. It's not supposed to be something that we dread, something like when your mom asked you to take out the garbage. How many of you, no, don't answer that. None of of us wanted to take the garbage out. It wasn't a convenient time, generally, when mom asked us to take the garbage out. It's not a drudgery like that. Worship of God is a joy. Worship of God ought to be something we do with gladness. When we worship God, whether in private, in our own personal Bible reading, or in public with the gathered body of believers, it needs to be glad, joyful worship. What glorifies God is believers' glad-hearted worship of him. And then in verse 2, he goes on to, to continuing this call to worship. He says, come before the Lord with singing. Come before the Lord with joyful songs. For Israel, they would come before the Lord in the sanctuary. They would come before the Lord in the sanctuary and worship him there, where they would be bringing sacrifices to offer to God and to praise him. We, because of Jesus, get to come to God, come before him at any moment. And that's awesome. We get to come to God before God anytime and anywhere because of Jesus. The coming that they were to do was before the Lord, and it was to be done with singing. And this singing was to be out of joy for who God was. They're joyful songs. Joy because of who God is. Jubilation and celebration is the idea behind this singing. They were to sing out of love for who God is and thankfulness for what he has done. And the plea in verses 1 and 2 is that all people are to worship God with joy and celebration. 
God is worthy of our worship. Do you believe that this morning? That God is worthy of our worship. God is worthy of our worship. God not only is worthy of our worship, but there's a reason why he is worthy. And that we see that in verse 3. We see the foundation of this call to worship in one, verses 1 and 2. And then verse 3, we see that what supports this call to worship. What supports this shouting triumphantly to the God. What supports this worshiping the Lord with gladness and coming before him with joyful songs. And it is that God is God. Look at verse 3. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture. The foundation or what supports our worship of God is who he is. We, worship, we must know or acknowledge the truth about who God is and worship him from that knowledge. And the knowledge that we need is that first, we need to know that God is God. That might seem simple or elementary to us who are a part of church, but the reality is the same. We must know that God is God. Just think about that for a minute. God is God. God is supreme. God is ultimate. God is God alone. In Isaiah 46, Isaiah points us to this uniqueness, this greatness of God. He says in Isaiah 46, 9, Remember what happened long ago, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and no one is like me. What have we been seeing as Pastor Chad has preached through Exodus? Who does Pharaoh think he is? God. Pharaoh thinks and believes he is God. Is that something that you and I can struggle with, to think that we are God? Maybe not outrightly, but who, think, who, who controls our lives? Who do we believe controls our life? Who has the right to tell us what to do? What is right? What is wrong? It's easy to look at a guy like Pharaoh and say, that knucklehead, he, why doesn't he just see it? Why does he just see that God is God? We have to ask ourselves, do we truly believe that God is unlike anyone or anything else? And we could spend days probably just dwelling upon, meditating on the greatness and the, the uniqueness of God. That he is holy, righteous, just, loving, gracious, merciful, powerful, always with us and on and on and on. We could think about the greatness and the uniqueness of God. But the reality is that God is God. And we need to believe that. And our worship flows from the reality and the belief that God is God alone. Secondly, in verse 3, we must know that God is our creator. Again, probably not earth-shattering news to you that God is our creator. But there are a lot of people in our world who debate that reality. God is our creator. And verse 3 builds off saying that God is God and saying that he made us and we are his. Not only is God God, but he is the creator. And God is the one who created us in all things. He is the uncaused cause that created all things. 
And we are created for him and by him. As you sit here today, you are created to glorify and magnify God. That's what you were created for. That is your purpose in life. For a moment, I want you to consider something. Thinking about God as our creator, I want you to think about a couple of things. First, I want you to consider your eyes. Okay? Many of us don't really think too much about our eyes unless they're not working properly or we get something in our eye. Okay? But just think about your eye for a minute. Okay? Think about what it takes for you to be able to see. Think for a moment about what it takes for you to be able to see. Now I know a lot of us know lots of things about eyes, some maybe more than others, but just think about it. It's, it's fascinating. When you start to think about your eye and just think about all the intricate parts that God has made so that you can see. Now, as I look around, I see people wearing glasses and I'm wearing glasses. So I understand that our eyes don't always work as well as they, they used to or they, they should. I understand that. But just think about how God created the eye and how it works. It's an amazing creation. And then think about your hair. And I know you might think this is getting silly, but just, just think about your hair from it. Maybe, maybe um, this is funny to you, but I'm not intending it to be funny. But just think about your hair and how it grows. How many of you sit there and concentrate and really strain to try to make your hair grow? <laughs> I see there's at least one person raise their hand. We don't, we don't, we don't. It just grows. Now, maybe for some of us, it's less, it doesn't grow as much as it used to. But we don't make our hair grow. But how many of us, we cut our hair, right? Because it grows. Now I know maybe these two illustrations are silly and, and, and odd, but I think they point to a really incredible reality that God is the creator of our eye and our hair. God makes them work in the way that they're supposed to work. And I realize because of sin, Things don't work always the way they're supposed to, and I understand that. But God is the creator, and because God is our creator, he owns us. We are his, his people. Did you catch that? Not only did it says he made us and we are his, we're his people. We're God's, and we're accountable to him, and we're not our own. God is the one in whom we are accountable to. We are not independent of God. We need him. And then third, as we look at verse three, we see we must know that we are gods. As I just mentioned, we must know that we are gods. We are not our own or anyone else's. Think about this reality. God chose Israel out of all the other nations around to be his people. Israel didn't do anything to be God's people. Israel wasn't worthy. In fact, they were a whiny bunch of people if you read through the Old Testament, especially as they leave Exodus. They were whiners. And yet God loves them and he chose them to be his. And the reality is that we too are God's people. Different than Israel is God's people, but we are God's people in Jesus. And that is awesome. Just think about how that, that reality that you are gods. If you've responded to the gospel of repentance and faith, you are gods. What comfort that is and to know that you belong to the creator, the one who is God. How awesome is that? 
And it's no wonder that worship flows from the reality that God is God, God is the creator, and we are his. Our worship this morning flows, it it comes from the foundation of God being God. God being God, God the creator, and we being his in Jesus. That is what should fuel and, and ignite our worship every single day. When we wake up, God is God. When we wake up, he is our creator. Even if our bodies do not work the way they, we want them to or would like them to, God is still God. God is the one who is awesomely in charge and we can worship him. God is our focus in worship because he is God. And who he is, who God is, fuels our worship. Secondly, this morning, God is our focus in worship because he is consistent. God is our focus in worship because he is consistent, looking at verses 4 and 5. The psalmist, again, in verse 4, does what he did in verses 1 and 2. He gives another call to worship, or maybe it's a continued call to worship. Either way, it's what it, that is what it is. And uh, we see he is pleading with people to praise God, but it gets more specific. It's not a general praise, but he's saying, enter, come, and give. In verse 4, we're given three commands to worship God. First, we are to worship God by entering his gates with thanksgiving. This word enter is the same word he used back up in verse 2 when he said come. So this is an invitation. Enter, come, worship God. He wants them to come. He wants them to worship God. And he's saying enter the gates with thanksgiving. We are encouraged to come before God's presence We're welcomed in Jesus to come before God's presence. And worship is coming before God to lift high who he is. Israel would enter these gates to come into the temple, to come into the tabernacle area, to the holy place of God, and to lift high who he is, to atone for sins and to worship him. These gates were the way to worship God. There was no other way for Israel to enter and worship God except through these gates. They were to enter through these gates and worship God in the temple. And as truly converted people, there is also only one way for us to worship God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is how we worship, and we come by faith to worship Jesus as God. Secondly, in verse 4, we see we are to worship God with thanksgiving and praise. He says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. How was Israel to enter God's presence, God's courts and gates? They were to do so with thanksgiving and praise to God. Israel would enter and they would make God known to others through their thanksgiving, through their praising God for who he is and what he has done. This was how they would enter. They would enter telling each other, perhaps loudly, perhaps not so loudly. They would tell each other. They would enter with praise, praising God with excitement. God is their God. God is the one who led them out of Egypt, who rescued them. God was the one who parted the Red Sea so that they could walk through. And on and on and on, they could give God glory. 
How do you come into church on Sundays? Do you come into church with Sundays on Sundays extolling the greatness and the goodness of God, thanking him to other people, just being amazed at who God is? Are you entering with thanksgiving and praise? Are you excited to be with believers, to worship him, to lift God high? Third, and we see in verse four, we are to worship God with words of thanksgiving and blessing. The end of verse four moves us to speaking to one another of what God has done and blessing his name. It says, give thanks to him and bless his name. If they weren't verbally giving thanks earlier as they entered, now when they are in God's presence, they are to thank him audibly with their words so that others will hear and others will be like, wow, God has been so good to that person. That is awesome. And they will worship as they hear you worshiping God. The psalmist in verse 4 is moving us to speak words of thanksgiving, speak words of blessing God's name for who he is and what he has done. But as with verses 1 and 2, verse 4 has a foundation, and that's verse 5. And you can see it clearly here because verse 5 begins with the word for. Verse 5 begins with the word for because it is the ground, the foundation. And it says, for the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. God's goodness and God's eternal faithfulness is the ground of their worship is the ground of our worship. God is consistent in who he is. We come before God with thanksgiving and praise and blessing his name because first, God is good. God is good. Do you believe that today, that God is good? Even in whatever circumstances you are in right now, God is good. Nothing changes the reality of God's goodness. Life may seem Ungood, I don't know if ungood is a word, but life might not seem good to you right now. But God is good. And out of a knowledge and a belief that God is good, we should lift high who he is in our pain, in our suffering, in our hurts. Lift high God's goodness because he doesn't change. He's consistently good all the time. And that is awesome news. God is good today. He's going to be good tomorrow. And he's going to be good forever. Now, when we state that God is good, we are communicating that he is the cause of all we have in life. God is the cause of all that we have in life. Whether we enjoy it or not, he is the cause. And nothing we have, whether good in our eyes or bad in our eyes, happens apart from God. And he is working all things for our good, for our conformity to the image of Christ and for him to be magnified through our life. God is good. What in life do you enjoy? What in life do you enjoy today? All of it came from God. Think about the enjoyment you had with family and friends over the Thanksgiving holiday. That was from God. God allowed that to happen. God is the one who is sovereign over it. Secondly, in verse 5, 
we come before God with thanksgiving, praise, and blessing his name because God is eternally faithful. The end of that verse says, and his faithful love endures forever, his faithfulness through all generations. God is faithful to those whom he loves. God doesn't get frustrated with us and be like, eh, you're just too much work today. I don't really care about you. I'm not going to really invest in you. He doesn't do that. God loves those who are his eternally. His faithful love isn't based on what the recipients of that love do or don't do. He loves because of who he is, not because of what you do. And I don't know about you, but I praise God for that reality, that he loves not based on how good I am or how kind I am or how godly I am, but he loves because of who he is. And that is good news. God's faithful love doesn't have an expiration date like your milk in the refrigerator or some food on the shelf. I remember going to my grandma's as a child and uh, my grandma was notorious about never ever emptying her refrigerator out. And uh, mom would say, if you're going to get something out of the refrigerator, you need to check the date on that before you, you drink that or eat that. And sure enough, something would always be past the date of it was good. And not just past like a day or so, but like it might be a month past or two months past and grandma just left it in the refrigerator. I don't know why she did that. She, she was a unique lady. But God doesn't have, his love for us doesn't have an expiration date like something that you keep in a refrigerator. God's love is eternal. Those whom God chooses to love can be confident and rest that it's never changing. It's consistent. It's loyal to those whom he loves. But the psalmist goes deeper. He, he takes this faithful love that endures forever and digs deeper when he says his faithfulness through all generations. God is eternally faithful. It's not just for your life or your, your children's life or your grandchildren's life, but God is faithful to the ones that are his in Jesus forever. It won't end. He is faithful forever to them throughout all of time. And even when we are with him, it's not going to be like, oh, you're with me. I don't have to love you anymore. It's forever. It's eternal. God is eternally faithful to those whom he loves. God is the focus of our worship because he is consistent in his character. God is the focus of our worship because he is good and he is eternally faithful. This morning as we've meditated briefly on Psalm 100, we've come to see that God is the center of our worship. Our worship, when we come to church on Sundays, when we worship God privately, God is the center of that, not us. The worship we give is in response to who he is. God is God this morning. God is creator and we are his in Jesus. And he is good and he is faithful forever. God is God and God is consistent. So let me ask you this. How is your worship of God this morning? As we exit Thanksgiving celebration time, how is your worship this morning? How is your worship of God? Is it more focused on you and what you can get out of being here this morning? 
as Pastor Chad said recently, are you the customer of your worship or is God the customer of your worship? Who's the focus? Who's the focus of your worship? Our focus in worship must be God. God says in Isaiah 42 verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another or, to, or my praise to idols. God is God and he demands worship of his people, of his creation. He's not going to give that glory to others. He's not going to be like, oh, it's okay if you take the glory today. That's all right. I'll get it tomorrow. No, God is God and he demands worship of those who are his. God calls us to worship him because he is God and consistent in his character. And as we consider this psalm, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you this morning to evaluate your own heart. I want to encourage you to think about how are you doing at glorifying God through Thanksgiving daily. Israel entered into the courts. Israel entered the gates. They came before God with thanksgiving, with praise, with blessing, with joyful songs, with shouts of joy. But we can come before God all the time, any moment. How's our worship? How is our worshiping God? Does who God is affect your life? Does who God is affect your life? Does God being God, your creator, and you being his change the way that you worship? Does God's consistent character affect your life? Are you in awe every single day that God loves you in Jesus? Are you in awe that God is good to you no matter what happens? God is our focus in worship. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here. Thank you for Psalm 100, which encourages us to worship you to put you first, to magnify you above all else, whether we are in a good time of life or a challenging time. Father, I pray that you would be the focus of our worship today. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.